0: You're listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cuddle of Gary Cuddle Ministries on today's edition.
1: We better not say do as I say, not as I do, you hypocrite. How are you gonna expect them to respect you when you live a different standard than what you hold them up to? You wanna know how to teach, raise your children right? You set the example. You be right, you live right in front of them. And then when you raise the standard high, they're not thinking you're a hypocrite and they respect you and they love you. And now they have a standard to shoot for and they have something to shoot for and aim for, amen? We've got to make sure that we're not living a hypocritical life.
0: Children notice everything they see when your words and actions don't match up. In today's edition of True North, Pastor Gary shares that hypocrisy turns people off to following God and killing churches in the process. He shares that parents need to have integrity in their words and actions. You want everyone, including your children, to see how to live connected with God and the difference that makes in your life. When you guard yourself against hypocrisy, God will use you to draw people to himself. Now here's Pastor Gary in Psalm 74 as he begins his message, Church Killers. We'll to talk about five essential things
1: that churches must avoid at all costs if they're to stay spiritually alive and active. Listen at the Word of God in 1 Samuel. The Bible said in the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. How many of you know that the word of the Lord is still precious? Amen. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. This is the old man of God getting old, getting careless towards the things of God. He had some, if my memory serves me correctly, and this is the one Amy whose sons were going, going south, and he didn't correct them like he should have. and uh, So Eli, the Bible said that his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And though this was a physical problem, it has very significant spiritual weight to it because it speaks of his loss of vision. And anytime time a preacher or a man of God or a leader in the church loses vision, the Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. Amen? And this is what it says, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep and I got to thinking about what that could mean for us today in our society and in our culture how many churches turn their lights on every Sunday morning but there's no light in the pulpit there's no light in the pew it's just dead, dry, man-made religion empty I'm telling you it's a bigger problem than we want to admit. Amen? And the reality is that any church, it can happen to any church. It can happen to any church. And if you go on over in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Bible said, She named the child Ichabod, saying the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law And her husband, then she said the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. The ark of God being symbolic of God's presence. And for us the New Testament church, when the presence of God leaves the church, so goes God's glory with his presence. And when God's presence and God's glory leaves the church, then you might as well say Ichabod is written over the door of the church, meaning the glory has departed. And may I submit to you that there were thousands upon thousands of churches across this country that are already there spiritually. They meet every Sunday morning, but there's no spiritual life or vitality. No one's getting saved No one's getting baptized. No one's getting surrendered. People are leaving the church left and right. The Bible prophesied of this day when it said that there would come a great falling away. But the good news is it don't have to be that way for us. Amen. A church dies because they let it die. A church is killed because they kill it. Just because the Bible said that a great falling away would come does not mean that it has to happen right here where we are. That's up to you, my friend. That's up to me. You can have as much or as little of God as you want. Amen? And I refuse to buy into the lie of the naysayers today that say that revival for America is a thing of the past that will never see a great awakening, a great nationwide awakening again. Honey, you telling me that the God of the universe that spoke the world into existence can't reignite a fire in his church across this country? And my friend, you're the one that's wrong. Amen. Cuz we serve a God that is able. He can turn things. Hey, listen, God knows how to bring America to her knees. All God's got to do is pull the rug out from under us. All God's got to do is collapse the value of the American dollar and instantly America will be crying out to God again. Don't tell me that God can't send the great awakening. He can get our attention, amen. But my focus is church killers. Now, before I do that, I want to read you a poem. And this poem was written by a man that used to be a dear friend of mine that walked away from his faith before he went into college. There's no need in me mentioning his name, but he wrote this poem when he was a young preacher. Just as on fire for God, seemingly, as I was at that time. Just as hungry to see God move in America and in God's churches, seemingly, as I was that time. And the irony of of this is when, when you read, when you hear what he wrote, you would think that this was coming from someone that surely would still be on fire today. Surely this individual kept the lamp burning in his heart. And listen to what, the, the words that he penned. The woods were cold and silent where the little church house stood. What used to be a lighthouse was just a bunch of wood. The church pews all were empty, the altar covered in dust, an altar that used to be stained with the teardrops of the just. The pulpit is completely silent, no preaching heard here now. They thought it useless to harvest, so no more reason for a plow. The piano that once played God's song now plays his song no more. The only singing left to hear are the birds outside the door. The floorboards, old and creaky, where not a foot is trod. Did God forget his people? No, the people forgot their God. But the question isn't what happened that made his people stray. The question is, why did they choose to leave the narrow way? Was it greed? Was it lust? Or was it simply pride? What could be so important to turn God's people aside? We could wonder for hours why the fire of God went out, why the preacher just quit preaching, why the the people lost their shout. But the answer is all too obvious what caused the church's end. They wouldn't seek the old paths. They let the world come in. So now you see the reason for the church's stagnant state. And we had better watch ourselves or this could be our fate. That's the church house of our day, grown dead and black and cold. Not even the building will be there long, for it's about to be sold. But even in its silence, the church has this warning to cry, As long as the sun still shines in the sky, don't let the church house die. Today my friend has been deliberately avoiding contact with me for years now. I've been trying to reach out to him on Facebook, on social media, through his brother that I stay in contact with. He won't even talk to me. He's a self-professed, Agnostic, which means he don't even know if he believes there's a God or not. How could a boy that had written such a powerful poem go from that to where he is today? But the message was just as right and just as spot on. I couldn't have written it any better myself. And I want you to think about how important it is that we keep the church house going. Now, what I mean... By the church house. Listen. We're not talking about brick and mortar. And pews and pianos. We're talking about the church in you. Amen. But I believe. In what the scripture teaches. In Hebrews chapter 10 I believe it is. That we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is. And so I believe in old fashioned faithfulness. To the house of God. And we've quit teaching our children the priority of attending faithfully the house of God. We have taught them that other things can take priority, that it's okay to miss, that God will be just fine. And we have, we have kind of put church into a category in our life that kind of is not a first thing, it's more of a second or a third thing if we get to it. And as we have taught our children that we raise the whole generation up that doesn't respect the church house enough to understand that the Bible calls us to be faithful, to assemble together, now we have children that don't even go to church because they don't even see the importance of it. And the church, the congregation, the meeting together is dwindling down. Who let it die? Who blew the fire out in the souls of the children You better be careful what you teach your children. They may just follow your teaching. Amen. My heart is heavy because I, I feel like that this is a message that needs to be heralded in every pulpit across this country. We, we need to heed the warning that if we don't keep our own hearts in check, we will reprioritize our lives, and Jesus will no longer have the preeminence. Now listen and hear me clear. I do not put church in the same category as God. I understand there's a difference between God and the church. Amen. God first, right? I understand the church is not God and God is not the church I understand that but listen what I don't understand is people that do not make the church house a priority because that is the place that God established where you can get the truth of the word of God taught to you and if we neglect that then we are sinning I believe that if you can be here you ought to be here if the doors are open I understand people got to work I understand people get sick that's not what I'm talking about What I'm talking about is the deliberate and intentional laying out of the house of God because it's simply not a priority. And listen, honey, if we keep living like that, do you know what's going to happen eventually when we raise our children in that kind of an environment and our children see that their parents don't make church a priority? What parents do in moderation, their children do in excess. If you're a little unfaithful, they'll be more unfaithful. And before you know it, you'll have a generation or two down the road and it only takes one generation to lose a whole nation. We better put our priorities back in order. The reason people are no longer faithful to the house of God is one or two reasons. Either number one, they're not being fed because there's no, no substance to feed their soul from the pulpit. Or number two, the reason they don't go to church is because church never got in them. Amen? Now what is it in your life now, let's talk about some church killers. What are some things that can take place if we allow it and we don't keep it in check? What are some things that we got to watch out for to keep the church house alive and active? Now, go with me to Psalm 74, verse 1. Verse 1, O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doeth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes, upon the thick trees but now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers they have cast fire into thy sanctuary they have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground they said in their hearts let us destroy them together they have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land we see not our signs there is no more any prophet neither is there any among us any that knoweth how long, O oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? This is a cry out to God over the desolation of the house of God in the land of Israel. Israel had lost their place of worship to the enemy, and the enemy came in like a flood and destroyed the sanctuary, set it on fire, and and destroyed the sanctuaries throughout the land. And and they were seeking revival and asking God to restore that which they had lost. And I think we could parallel this to what's going on in the country. Do you realize there are churches every week across this nation that close their doors for the last time? Every single week. Every single week there's another pastor, at least one. Uh, I don't remember the statistics. There are actually many every week, many pastors that preach their last sermon and they hang up their hat. And they quit. What's happening? The fire is going out. But I ask you one question. Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that? Is it God's? Does God shine less than He shined before? Or has people's hearts grown cold as the Scriptures have predicted that they would in the last times? Church killers. Let's look at our text. Number one, hypocrisy is a church killer. A hypocrite is one who feigns to be what he is not. One who has the form of godliness without the power. Or who assumes an appearance of piety and virtue when he is destitute of true religion. That was Webster's definition of a hypocrite. A simple way to put it would be an actor. Someone who plays the part can put on a good show, honey, but they have no substance in their soul. And one of the first things that kills the church more than anything is when we play the hypocrite. Because our children see through the fake. Our children see through the facade. They know if you're real or not. How many children will not darken lock, lock the doors of a church today because mama and daddy made them go to church, but mama and daddy didn't live the life? And they said stupid things like, do what I say, not what I do. By the way, if you use that, you're wrong. Amen. We better not say, do as I say, not as I do, you hypocrite. How are you going to expect them to respect you when you live a different standard than what you hold them up to? You want to know how to teach, or raise your children right? You set the example. You be right. You live right in front of them. And then when you raise the standard high, they're not thinking you're a hypocrite and they respect you and they love you. And now they have a standard to shoot for and they have something to shoot for and aim for. Amen. We've got to make sure that we're not living a hypocritical life in front of this generation coming up because statistically I was reading an article the other day that implies that two-thirds just look around the building tonight look at these children statistically two-thirds of the children in here by the time they are old enough to make their own decisions two-thirds of them will never come back to the church. That's a real provable scientifically proven statistic done by professional researchers what's happening hypocrisy hypocrisy they hear what mom and dad says amen at church and they hear what they say at home and they're not the same message they see what they do at church and they see what they do at home and they see what they do out in the community. And they see hypocrites and they grow up resenting church because it looks fake to them. It doesn't seem real to them. And so they, they think that if their parents are just playing the game, they don't see no point in playing the game. Kid, at least kids are real. They say, if, I, if I'm going to live my own life, I'm not going to try to mix church with it. I'm just going to be who I'm going to be. I'm not going to try to live a double life. Amen. And young people don't understand why their parents try to live a and you can talk to many of them today that are grown up after having been raised in a hypocritical environment they will tell you at least you know who I am even if I'm sinful even if I'm wrong even if I'm wicked at least I'm real at least you can know who I am because I'll tell you to your face that I'm a sinner I'll tell you to, to your face that I know I need to be saved but I'm not going back to that church because there's a bunch of hypocrites now, I don't know if there's any hypocrites in here or not. Uh, well, truthfully, we're all hypocrites at some point. Amen. But I, I'm, just say, I'm just telling you, church, we've got to make sure that we're living the life and not just preaching. We've got to practice what we preach. Amen. Verse 3 of our text said, Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. We like to talk about the problems outside of the church doors, but I like to address the problems inside the church doors. You see where the problem is? While we're cursing the darkness, the darkness has crept into our own hearts. May God help us to light a candle rather than cursing the darkness. Amen? And so we've got to live a true life. Now, I know we're not going to be perfect. And I know we preach a truth that's higher than we are. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. But listen, if you know how to apologize, if you know how to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, then even in your hypocrisy, your, your children can see through your mistakes, and they can forgive you, and they can love you, and they can accept the fact that you're not going to be perfect, but that you're striving, amen? And listen, you can't be perfect. You're not going to be perfect, but you ought to strive, and you ought to be willing to say, I was wrong when you're wrong, amen? And if you did something to your child that was not right, then you need to be able to swallow your pride and go to your child humbly and apologize and ask for forgiveness and say I'll try to be better next time and when you get real with your kids and you get real with God they understand then at that point that this means something to you you don't have to be perfect you just got to be real and you just got to be honest and you just got to be willing to walk humbly so hypocrisy Is one of the first church killers. In Matthew 15, the Bible said, You hypocrites, well did Isaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. May God help us not to be like that. Number two, pride. In verse 4 of our text, the Bible said, Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations, they set up their ensigns or their flags. For signs. In other words, the enemy has set up camp. It's like an in your face attitude of pride. And we better not lift ourselves up in pride because the Bible says, an haughty spirit goeth before a fall. Amen? If you want to set yourself up for a fall as a church, then you feel yourself full of pride. There's nothing that encourages pride. In a church, any more than self righteousness. The way we construct our stuff sometimes and we think of ourselves so highly and we think of ourselves better than other people. You know what? The Bible says for us to condescend to men of low degree. That means humble yourself, get off your high horse. Amen. You ain't no better than anybody else. Only difference between you and the lost drunk on the street tonight that don't even have a home to live in is you're saved by the grace of God. We all put our pants on the same way. That's right. Everybody has their human problems. So don't let pride destroy the church. We need to walk humbly before God. Proverbs 16 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. May God help us to be humble, to know where our blessings come from, to know that we're not for the grace of God. We would be in the same place that the other people are in. And I think when we swallow our pride, we're able to minister to others.
0: You've been listening to True North with Pastor Gary Cottle. If you enjoyed today's message, we invite you to subscribe to True North on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to share these with your friends and family too. This could be a great way to start a conversation about Christ and study the Word together. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like to request prayer, please get in touch with Pastor Gary by emailing contact at com. That's contact at Gary, dot com. True North is a ministry of Gary Coddle Ministries. You can find out more by visiting our website, GaryCoddle.com. Would you like to come worship with Pastor Gary? Simply visit GaryCoddle.com for more details on where he pastors and how you can plan a visit. If you're not in the area, we still encourage you to find a local church body where you can learn from God's Word and spend time with other believers. It will be a place for you to grow in faith, find support, and serve in ways you are uniquely designed to. With that, our time with you has come to a close today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on True North.